In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let us reflect now in the presence of God on what it really means for us to follow Jesus, to follow you, Lord, to be a disciple, because to be a disciple means to follow, one who follows after the Master. And if we follow the Master, it also means or implies imitating the Master, going behind Him, imitating Him, and that means if we are ready to imitate him, we are also ready to suffer anything for the f- simple fact of being close to Jesus. Because the reason we are following him is in order to be close to him. Physically close, as the disciples, as the apostles were. But also morally close in that we are actually trying to imitate to be like him. I mean... It must have been such a draw. It must have been so amazing to be with the Lord Jesus. Just listening to his words of wisdom, the sense of hope that he exuded at a time of great tyranny, at a time of great uh, moral depravity. It must have been such a draw to experience his own joy, his words of love, And anybody who came even close to him felt uniquely loved by him. He had this ability to make people really feel that they were understood. Like that the woman of the alabaster jar that came into the house one day when he had been invited by a Pharisee to dine. Well, this lady came in. She wasn't invited at all. Nobody cared about her. But she came in, she broke the alabaster jar of ointment over his feet, and she began to weep and, and, and wiped, them, wiped his feet with her hair. It was quite an awkward moment. It was awkward, like, who's this lady? You know, what's going on? And she was weeping. And Simon the Pharisee says, you know, if he knew who this was, he, he wouldn't let her touch him like that. He was like judgmental and angry. But when the Lord starts speaking to her, she suddenly felt beautifully at peace. She suddenly kind of understood that he knew her more than she, in fact, knew herself. And he, despite her sins, despite her transgressions and her life and her history, he just nevertheless deeply loved her. And she somehow understood that. And... This is why so many people really wanted to follow Jesus. There's one passage in the, in the Gospel of St. Matthew where he's at the doorway of St. Peter's house and a great number of people had come there, sick people, and he was casting out demons, right? Demons are, are these evil creatures that possess people and make them very sad and angry and almost convulsed within 
And uh, so he had, he had done all this healing, you know, expelled demons and really amazed everybody at what he did and also what he said. And it came time, well, okay, let's go, let's go. Somebody, Peter, somebody said, okay, let's, get, let's go, let's get out of here. Let's go and cross the, to the other side of the lake. And he was leaving and, you know, they were all going towards the lake to go get, get that boat. And one of the scribes, who was completely dazzled and blown away by all the, the wonders that he saw, comes up to our Lord and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. After what I've seen, whatever you want, I'll sign it. I mean, he must have been like totally bug-eyed right? and uh, filled with wonder. But, okay, sounds exciting, but what were the real intentions of this man's heart? Was this just a momentary emotional high? To what extent did he understand what it meant to actually follow the Master? So after this guy says, I'm getting ready to follow you, know, tell me where to sign, I'm coming, I'm, 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 I'm going to be your disciple. So he just looked at him and said, Foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay. Yeah. That's what he said. I mean, these, at first glance, they seem like rather harsh words. Enough to deflate even this enthusiastic scribe. Because it really all depends on what this scribe was looking for in wanting to follow Christ. And uh, the apostles probably before had heard similar responses, but rather than a warning or a restraint, the apostles certainly discovered in those words of our Lord an invitation to give everything. And that we can understand why Peter and John's and James, that they left everything and left their work and just were going to be his disciples. Or Matthew left the customs desk and wanted to be his disciple. He was collecting taxes. He was getting rich. He had a, a good salary and probably a good pension with that. And the, the apostles realized that although having nowhere to lay one's head may indeed involve a lot of sacrifice, everything is little compared to the joy of a life with Jesus. I'm ready to have a life with you, even if it means not having any place to lay down my head, even if it means any kind of sacrifice. But remember the Lord said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And of course, when he said that, the Son of Man, well, this was an old expression in the Old Testament that, of course, everybody knew referred to the Messiah. It comes from the prophet Daniel, who had a vision of the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Okay, everybody knew that the expression of the Son of Man referred to the Messiah, but people didn't really understand exactly what it implied or what it really meant. They knew it was messianic, but it didn't quite fit into their ideas of Jewish nationalism or certainly 
not in the, in the political sphere that they understood. They had understood the Messiah as a kind of conquering hero that would have this political meaning. And, uh, of course, after the resurrection, they understand that the Son of Man really meant that he was the Son of God. And they came with time to understand that he was really the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And they, they really understand, understood what the Messiah really was. And he wasn't a, a conquering hero. He wasn't a political figure with charisma. Well, he had charisma, but he wasn't like, like a political figure. So, in front of somebody who is awed and amazed and wants to follow Jesus, the Lord speaks quite clearly. He doesn't want this man, who has just been amazed by everything that's happened, to, to deceive himself, perhaps thinking that he's undertaking a life where everything is now going to go smoothly, he's always going to be following this great leader. And um, he wants him to understand that journeying alongside Jesus can indeed entail hardships, like having no place to rest your head, which would include the experience of tiredness, the experience of confronting your own defects and recognizing them, other people's defects, sometimes experiencing the lack of appreciation by others, experiencing misunderstandings, which certainly the apostles experienced, misunderstandings from not just the Romans, but the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And therefore, it would mean that it would require virtues to be strong. And the greatest virtue that helps us to do that, of course, is the virtue of fortitude or courage that is raised, raised up or lifted up by, by divine grace and is decisive in giving us the strength needed to overcome any obstacle to follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he goes. Even in today's gospel, we have the demoniac, the story of the demoniac among the Gerasenes, right? This, this distant place east of the Jordan that was filled with lots of pagans. That's why they had all these swine there. I mean, Jewish people would never have swine. And uh, this demoniac is there, and he is possessed by these demons that they call themselves legion, as our, our Lord expels them from, from this, this poor man who had been beating himself and, and doing himself harm, not, not on account of his uh, actions, but basically the demons in, inside him that were possessing him. And he would have suffered tremendous isolation. He was tormented by this, these demons within him. So, with his divine power, the Lord sends away these demons, hurls them into these, these swine, and suddenly he is no longer tormented. He's calm. He's peaceful, this man. It's a complete transformation. And of course, seeing this miracle that that the Lord had expelled demon. This man too wants to follow, like that scribe before, wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. He wants to get, in fact, he wants to get into the boat. There's probably no room, you know, but uh, he wants to follow Jesus directly. Get into the boat with him. But uh, Jesus told him, no, you can't come. You can't come. Rather, you should stay here and you should announce the gospel to your family, to your friends. Tell them all about the good things that God has done for you. And I think that 
former demoniac, now with a serene and simple smile, I think he would have understood right away. Okay, I understand. You're giving me a mission. It's a hard mission, but I'm ready. I'm going to take responsibility of what you've given me by following you, not by physically following you into the boat, but by following you, by following this command and going to tell all the others what has happened to me. And formerly, he would have been looking disheveled and looking all scrapped up and... But now he's calm, he's serene, and he would have appeared to his friends and family and into his village like that, no longer tormented, no longer angry, but his soul filled with peace. And they would have said, wow, what happened to this guy? He was, he was going nuts. We could hear his screaming. And now he could be a witness, a testimony among his friends, his family. And he, I would suggest that this guy, this former demoniac, would have actually garnered a following. In fact, there are other passages in the gospel where we, we hear about you know, people possessed by devils and that they, the devil is overcome. Uh, like in the Acts of the Apostles, St. Peter addresses Cornelius and his household. And it says he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Even, even St. Peter was able to do that. That was a sign that the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of God had uh, begun. He had suffered, but now he clearly had a mission in his life. The devil was out of his way, and I would imagine this guy was supremely happy. It didn't mean he had no longer any defects or didn't have difficulties. He still now had hardships, but he had a mission, he had a purpose. And he was happy. Serene and happy. So we ask you, Lord, now in the presence of God, am I a happy person? Am I a happy person? Or are you focused mainly on the hardships of your life? On the setbacks? I have a sore, sore back. I have a problem with my, uh, with my arm, with my leg. I have bad toes. Uh, I don't know. I have problems here and there, physical problems. You know. Or I'm stressed about my work. I'm, I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I don't like the cold. It's important that we ask ourselves about true happiness, true serenity. If you, you go to bed, are you, are you turning around your head to, about all the things that are to come? Are you having a hard time getting to sleep and being serene and abandoning yourself in God? Sinuzumi has an interesting phrase in Forge. He says, Happiness in heaven is for those who know how to be happy on earth. Of course, happiness, you're going to have happiness in heaven. I mean, no kidding. I mean, that's obvious. But for us to be happy in heaven, we have to be happy on earth. And in our daily life, we find many things that give us joy. But of course, we also find adversities that kind of put us to the test. Sometimes they're physical things, sometimes they're like more psychological, sometimes interior areas. And uh, these things put us to the test. They, they try us. And it's only natural that our happiness on earth ultimately have a lot to do with how we cope with these difficulties. Life 
Well, sometimes we have no place to lay our head. We have no pillow. Or something goes wrong. And uh, some days, nothing goes according to plan. Just nothing. Just everything goes wrong. Our phone doesn't work. Our computer, there's no internet. Uh, which is the quintessence of a disaster, of course, right? And this is where fortitude comes in. We need fortitude. We need courage. Because it transforms those obstacles that we face, small or bigger, health or interior, physical outside of us, or with people, it transforms those obstacles into opportunities, once again, to direct our deepest desires into the right direction, that is, towards God. And that we grow in our love for God, that we grow in our confidence in God. And one of the things, fortitude, is one of the cardinal virtues, of course, but one of the things it does is it shapes our affectivity so that we are more affected by God than by personal or external circumstances. And those things can always change, the things that happen to us. But we have this solid grounding that is that we know ourselves to be loved by God and that whatever happens, we have a purpose, we have a mission, like you know the demoniac. So fortitude is courage. And you know, one of the things fortitude does, or courage, it helps us to avoid rationalizations and, and thereby overcome fear, especially the fear of mistakes. We're fear, we, we're afraid of making mistakes. It helps us, you know, when we're fortitude, we have fortitude, we, we make decisions, okay, we don't turn around in our head too much, we just decide and go for it with kind of a dispatch. And uh, we persevere, even when the going gets tough. Things that are not essential for happiness may sometimes seem indispensable. Certain things. You know, certain creature comforts. We think, we, I, I mean, I, I have to have this. I mean, I have to have my, my you know, evening snack. I, I just have to have it. You know, I can't sleep, you know. I have to have my cookies in the evening. You know, I don't know, you know. It would be good that we identify some of those indispensables, right? Certain shoes that I want, I have to have, I have to have, you know. And especially today when certain amenities that we have, certain comforts have become so commonplace today, right? And uh, it also can happen with other needs that we create for ourselves we create for ourselves almost without realizing it. And uh, we could be that we are not even aware that we are so dependent on these things. And that's why we have to really be free so that those external circumstances don't make decisions for us, that we be really free. And that we face those moments in which, exactly, you know, we are like the Son of Man who doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And it's really good if we have a trying moment, I mean, that that happens is quite normal, 
that we're stuck in traffic or we're going to be late for a class or some kind of delay and we can't get our assignment done or somebody is supremely annoying with us. I mean, that's their goal in life, to annoy us. <laughs> which, which happens, you know. There are certain people who that's their mission in life, right? But that those facts don't rob us of a smile. Right? They don't rob us of a smile. So that we can be happy among all kinds of people, in any place, while engaging in any task. No doubt I've told you that story that you're no doubt familiar with from Saint Thérèse de Lisieux, that I think she recounts in her, in the story of the soul, where she says that there is a nun that is in the convent with me who has the habit, she says, of driving me up the wall. Right? Well, I don't think she says it like that, but she says, uh, she says she bothers me in everything she does because they had to somehow like pray together, the office together, and she would have her seat here, and the other nun had her seat there, and she says, I would get so irritated just with the way she sat, the way she placed herself, the way she opened her book, the way she pressed her, pursed her lips together. It was just, I, I couldn't take it. I would just like get so annoyed by her. And yet, this was a holy and good nun. And the times would come that I have to work with her, and I would tell our Lord, I want to flee. I just want to take off. I don't want to be here. Right? So she said to herself, she said, so as not to fall into this trap, I told our Lord that every time I see this good and holy nun, that I would smile. I would smile. So the nun would come, she'd work with her, and she'd go. <laughs> she, would, she would start, you know, fake smiling. And... Uh, Every time she would come, she would smile. And she said, some days I would just want to flee. I want to flee. No, I cannot flee. And then one day, this nun said, Sister Therese, Therese of the child Jesus, why is it that every time you see me, you're so, you're, you're smiling? Why do you do that? And she said, well, it's just that I'm, I'm happy to see you. But I didn't, she said, I didn't tell her that I was happy to see Jesus that was hidden within her. Right? <laughs> you know, which is true, you know, the dignity of each person is that they hide within them the dignity of, of God. God himself is hidden in each person, no matter who they are. If they're pagans, if they're this, or they're that, that's why we have to love each person, because, you know, hidden inside is the, is the love of God. That's what we have to do. So we not be so dependent on everything going well. Sometimes we have no place to lay our head. And thus, when the crowds, they were so enthused by his miracles, they wanted to proclaim him king and like carry him off on their shoulders. Uh, Jesus was really detached from this triumphalism. He was free. And St. Paul, well, he tells us of his own experience. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance 
and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a, it's a beautiful passage from his letter to the Philippians, chapter, chapter 4. I can do all things. I can do all things who strengthens me. I can't do them, but he strengthens me. For him, nothing is an obstacle on his way to what he really wants. Ultimately, the love of God with all his, his heart. He wanted to love the Lord Jesus with all his heart. Follow him no matter what. And that's why one of the greatest expressions of fortitude is patience. Patience. Would that you and I be patient people. We saw this, this Sunday and yesterday, we saw it in the letter to the Corinthians, the famous uh, hymn of love that St. Paul recounts, chapter 13, uh, a beautiful passage that is often used at weddings about all the characteristics of patience, uh, and the first thing he says is, love is patient. And that means that in order for us to do good, we have to bear evil. We have to renounce in advance any signs of annoyance, bad temper, or kind of like being brusque or sharpness in manner. That's what St. Teresa did. She, she renounced in advance to... Any signs of annoyance when she saw that nun? Who bothered? I mean, she was annoyed by that nun, but she didn't show any signs of it. That nun really thought, she must love me a lot. She must love me. And certainly charity will often demand patience. And if we are to bear with serenity, the possible defects, the hostility, even the hostility, even just the Sometimes the bad humor of people who deal with some people are just they, 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 I don't know they they're moody they're just moody. Hmm? How are you today? Nah, whatever. <laughs> they just grump at you, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, is that right? Oh, th- that's that's nice, uh, you know. And so this virtue of charity and patience will lead us. You know, just give those kind of trifles the importance they have. We can't, we can't write a thesis about this, right? Like, she responded to me like this, and therefore the means that blah, 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 blah. We start, uh, like, turning around in our head what this means. and uh, We can easily blow little trifles like that way out of proportion. Way out of proportion. Rather, patience will incline us to just to maybe, if somebody were to do that, well, we can maybe wait for the appropriate time to correct them if they do something like that. Or if they, I don't know, they leave their boots thrown all over the place or they never make their bed or I don't know, something like that. No. See, charity will help us to give the answer that will enable our words to reach the hearts of those who are maybe difficult and uh, to help them improve that's what, and for us to do that, well, we need, we need patience. Patience is one of those virtues that will help us to live in harmony with others. Do you live in harmony with others? Do you really live in harmony? Or are there some people you just don't live in harmony with ever? Are you irritated by people? Are you, do you get anxious? You know, during exams, there are hard times at school and we could get a bit despondent, and there's so much to do, we could lose our composure. 
Well, we also know from our own experience that what is really of value, great value, anything we do of great value, always requires some form of patience. From tackling a tough subject at school, getting the formula just right, or just overcoming a character flaw, or nurturing deeper relationships with others, or just growing in friendship with God. It takes patience. It takes patience. And patience is a part of fortitude. I heard a statistic that was addressed to young people. They made a poll, and they asked them about how many friends they had, young people. And it's apparently like 30% said that they have no friends. They have zero. And uh, perhaps they had friends when they were kids, but you know, as they got older, these friendships fell apart, they went and moved different places, but perhaps also they just didn't foment the virtue of, of uh, patience. Maybe behind a lot of these breakdowns in their, in their friendships, there was a hidden jealousy there, or maybe some selfishness, or not really a willingness to dedicate time, wasting time, in the good sense, with their friends, to listen, to suffer with them. Really what our Lord is saying to that Pharisee who came to him with all that wonder and all that excitement, I will follow you whenever you, wherever you go. He said, the Lord is really saying, look, to follow me isn't easy. Are you sure you can do this? Do you really want to love me? After all, he said to the apostles, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Enter by the narrow gate. But when we enter by the narrow gate, we are we are happy. We are serene. We fulfilled our purpose. St. Paul, his letter to the Romans. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. This is amazing. We rejoice, he says, in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces Character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's, wow, that's amazing. That's Romans 5. I mean, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings, he says. Well, let us, let us ask our Lord to help us, well, just give us that patience so that we can rejoice in our sufferings and let the Holy Spirit pour in His love. If we could just understand the degree to which God loves us, we would, we would undergo any difficulty because that's the ultimate root of true joy, true happiness on this earth, and then all the more so in heaven. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation, I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.